know the lyrics to the extended version of every 90s TV theme song? And you recite the entire script to Wayne's World on command, verbatim? Might you wax nostalgic about injuries sustained during backyard wrestling matches? Have you pontificated at length over what beer goes best with Mario Kart? Do you philosophically dwell for inappropriate lengths of time on phenomena like snowsuits, minor five chords, Rocky Four, baseball stats, wall-mounted pencil sharpeners, cinnamon toast crunch, Murray Wilson, seasons two through eight of The Simpsons, Bond villains, then friends, lovers, palindromes, have we got the show for you. It's Calling BS with Brandon and Scott, your esoteric clerics for the fleet of mouth and mind. Brutally honest, meticulously obsessive, and painstakingly pragmatic. Check us out and BS, I love you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski. And I'm Todd Mack. And this week we are discussing Snoopy from the comic strip Peanuts by Charles Schultz. It's about time we got to Snoopy, right? Almost 200 episodes in. How have we I know not you're talked a big fan. about this dog? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and I was you know what? Uh, you chose Snoopy and not Charlie Brown. But. Uh, well, part of that, I will tell you, is because I recently wrote an essay in a collection called The Comics of Charles Schultz, The Good Grief of Modern Life, that was edited by Jared Gardner and Ian Gordon, and my essay was on Snoopy, not Charlie Brown. <laughs> so, okay. my area of expertise in recent studies and publications is much more on the Snoopy side of Peanuts than the Charlie Brown side. Cool. Well, you are far more an expert on Snoopy than I am. I... I read more Snoopy today than I've read in my entire life. So, surely not. You were a comics page reader, weren't you, when you were a child? Newspapers were a thing. Yeah. Yes, I I did read the comics page when I was a kid, and newspapers were a thing. But I wasn't like a devotee of of peanuts. I just you know read whatever was on the page. So I mean I read some I read some stuff. So I guess I guess if you were to accumulate all of that, it was probably more than what I read today. But today but, was a lot. <laughs> today was more concentrated Snoopy than I've ever read in my life. Okay. I can I safely say that. Well, uh, listeners, as we said, we're, we're talking about Snoopy, and um, I will say newspaper comic strips are a harder one for us to give a quick synopsis of. <laughs> And uh, to find like long storylines for. So in a lot of ways, we're just talking about some of the highlights of Snoopy and his different personas that he adopted through the decades in the Peanuts comic strip. And we are talking specifically about the comic strip and not the many, many, many adaptations on film, television, stage, <laughs> author books, video games, I'm sure, uh, of Snoopy. Let's just say Charles Schultz was not shy about licensing out uh, Snoopy for a man who like one of the great themes of a Charlie Brown Christmas is a great anti-commercialism rant. <laughs> he didn't shy away from commercialism <laughs> when it came to people who wanted to use Snoopy as a mascot. He was pretty okay with it. Yeah. So uh, we, I mean, we already touched on 
kind of Todd, you you read some as a kid. I mean, it's it's difficult to be a child in America and not be aware of Snoopy and Peanuts, right? It's yeah, it's, it's just so pervasive. Um, and I remember reading it in the new, you know, the comics page in the newspaper when newspapers were a thing that my family received on our doorstep. Uh, and, but also you. You can't go holiday without a special being on TV um, and the, the toys and the plushies and, you know, just Snoopy is Snoopy's everywhere. <laughs> that dog is popular. Yeah. yeah, he's like Mickey Mouse. Yeah, I, I, that's probably a pretty good analog there. Uh, so some trivia about Snoopy and Peanuts. First, Charles Schultz hated the name Peanuts. <laughs> When he submitted the comic strip to the syndicator, he had named it Little Folks, L-I-L, Little Folks. Uh, like little, like little Sebastian? Yes. Like Lil Sebastian of Parks and Rec fame. <laughs> so Lil Folks, which is hard to say. I'm not going to lie. Once you say it out loud, like on the page, that looks great. But saying it into this mic, I'm starting to feel self-conscious. Uh, but the syndicator... Um, and I, I didn't go and find it. I read this at some point previously that they had kind of already staked out the name peanuts that was going to be one of their go-to names for a strip and they insisted that schultz's strip be called peanuts um not because they thought it was a great match for it but just because that's the name they liked for the name of a comic strip and his was one of the next to come along okay that's weird so they have a name peanuts we want to have something that's called peanuts and then he comes along with this thing and says i want to call it lil folks and they say nope we feel like this is the best match for a title that we just want we're just dying to publish something called peanuts yeah, I think that was in a biography on Charles Sweet. Schultz that I read a few years ago um, that it had that whole sequence. And I mean, I I knew that he hated the name Peanuts and it was something that was forced on him from the syndi- syndicator. Uh, but I, I didn't know that it was something they'd kind of already said, this is going to be a good name for a comic. Because <laughs> like, even then, like, I don't see a match. Like, why is it called Peanuts? It just is. Uh, like, it, it just is now. But like, even if I was to try and force why... They said, this is the one that needs to be called Peanuts. I, I don't have an answer for you. I always thought the characters kind of looked like little peanuts walking around in the in their little world. Yeah. They're kind of yeah. shaped like peanuts. Yeah, I can see that. Um, so, Peanuts ran from October 2nd, 1950 to February 13th, 2000. And in those nearly 50 years, Schultz wrote and drew a comic for every single day, never missing a strip and never allowing a studio or apprentice to help take over. So, every line drawn wow. and every the dialogue is from him and uh like famously bill watterson doing Calvin and hobbs that was a decade long from when it started to when it ended but he took two year-long sabbaticals in there and schultz didn't take a week off <laughs> i mean i'm sure he built up a back catalog and took time off yeah but I mean, he never missed he... never missed a day of a new peanut strip uh during those 50 years I, well i guess i should say it ended on february 13th 2000 that was when the sunday strips um ended the actual daily strips had ended january of 2000 i think so the wow. daily strips ended just a little bit earlier than the sunday strips because the back catalog what do you think of the chances that in 47 years you and i are still doing this podcast and we've never missed a week <laughs> i can't i can't process <laughs> <laughs> that option <laughs> i i can't either <laughs> I mean, I love doing this, but I, I can't, I, I can't today make a forty-seven year, a fifty-year commitment. And uh, because of that, I, it has been argued that peanuts, like that, that fifty-year commi- uh, daily um, addition to the the storyline and the mythology of peanuts, that that is um, like the longest running, one of the longest running stories in human history, <laughs> coming from a singular voice, right? It's, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I, 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 off the top of my head, I can't imagine what would top it. 
mm-hmm. um, with a, a new chapter every single day. Obviously, we're, we're talking different things when it's a four panel, you know, edition. But still, that's a uh, dedication that no one else has ever matched <laughs> like, yeah. that I'm aware of. And it, it is just something to kind of like, it's a little bit intimidating, but it's also kind of like, that's pretty awesome, Charles Schultz. Yeah, um, it is. Way to go. And I'm sure a lot happened in his life that could have derailed him and made him say, I need a break. But he never missed a day. Um, in all, Schultz produced 17,897 strips that were published in newspapers. And I just want to say, like, if you start to imagine all the other times that he sketched these characters, um, like, I know, I know that he would draw personalized cards for all his children and grandchildren for their birthdays that feature these characters. <laughs> um, and that, like, I found that reference in a few other things. So I was doing research for that essay. Um, it, but just, tens and thousands tens of thousands of times he was drawing these characters and there's an evolution like you went back and read some of the earliest ones yeah. for this oh yeah for this discussion and the art does not look like the peanuts art we know today um, it kind of reminds me of our discussion of um gunner Creek court yes and seeing an artist just develop over time mm-hmm. getting that's cool Ten thousand hours in um in a yeah. way that we actually see it like as an audience you can you can see see a change happening an evolution happening mm-hmm. um Fanographics has republished the entire run of Peanuts at this point. Um, each volume has an essay. Um, and so each volume uh, covers like um, it would be like the comics from 1965 to 66. So we cover two years worth of comics in one bound volume. And they've done the entire run of Peanuts. But each one of those volumes has uh, an essay in the beginning from a notable figure, often talking about why Peanuts mattered to them or talking about its artistic significance um, or its impact on culture. And those essays range from people like Matt Groening, who created The Simpsons, to Pat Oswalt, who is a, a comedian and actor, to Barack Obama who, you know, that was a name I hope you recognize. Uh, so, and all of them were kind of say like the peanuts, like, like they were really taking their time out to write this. And they always had something to say about peanuts um, that, you know, that mattered to them. Again, it's, it's hard to be an American who was, <laughs> you know, born from the 1950s to the present and not be aware of peanuts and uh, its presence in our culture. Uh. So Schultz had always planned to draw essentially until he died. That was like, just he assumed that was going to happen. He was going to keep making daily strips until he died. And for this reason, he predicted that uh, his strip would outlive him. Like he, in a couple different interviews during his entire run, you, like during any time he was interviewed, you could find him talking about this uh, because there'd be the back catalog of what was already done for the publisher. And then he'd die and then those would still be produced. So the strip would outlive him was what his thoughts were. However, he announced his retirement in December of 1999, citing that serious health concerns made it impossible for him to continue drawing um, his daily strip. Like it just he, physically, he was becoming unable to do it. And the final daily strip was published on January 3rd, 2000. He still had several Sunday strips that had been completed. And Schultz passed away on February 12th, 2000. And the last original Peanuts strip, his final Sunday strip was published February 13th, 2000. So the strip <laughs> did outlive him by one day. Um, and to honor his retirement, many other newspaper cartoonists had paid tribute, uh, planned to pay tribute to peanuts by having references to characters or to his art style in their strips. And most of those uh, tributes were published on February 13th, 2000, the day after he died, just because of when the calendar, you know, it, obviously all of those have been done beforehand and scheduled to be released on that day. Um, but the day after he died, the newspaper uh, page, the, the, the comics page was just filled with tributes to, to Charles Schultz and to That's peanuts. Awesome. And I tried to find out how many 
adaptations of peanuts like tv specials and movies and again probably should, I, I just couldn't the number's too big <laughs> there were a lot <laughs> this is a well adapted source let's just say that it's like trying to calculate the number of books in the library of babel or something yeah <laughs> an almost an almost infinite number which uh again i mean this a monumental task his 50-year run but just think about how much impact it's had on culture in those 50 years, which is yeah. not the largest amount of time to have an impact on culture. But Snoopy is just pervasive and, and Peanuts is pervasive. Yeah. All right. Before we move on, listeners, we want to thank each and every one of you for listening and especially thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least $1 per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers and all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. Um, I, w- I recently had someone ask like how patron actually works. It's kind of like um, PayPal in, in that like you, you're going to give some of your banking information to this site. It's very, it's secure. There's never been an issue with it. Uh, but then whatever donations uh, you set up, you tell it what you want it to donate per month and it just automatically happens. So you don't have to remember to go back and say, ah, I want to give those guys a dollar. Um, so if you're willing to give us a dollar a month, you would just go to patreon.com slash protagonist, sign up. Uh, and it would just every month you'd get an email saying, Hey, $1 went to uh, this podcast you're, you're supporting or uh, whatever the amount may be. Again, no upper limit on what Patreon <laughs> allows you to donate. Just keep that in mind, listeners. All right. You ready for this? Yes. So uh, just listeners, like I said, this is 50 years worth of story. And it's impossible for us to obviously summarize all of that. And we all have our cultural idea of Snoopy and Charlie Brown and the whole gang from Peanuts and what, what Peanuts is. I chose um, some of the highlights of Snoopy. Uh, it, 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 comics that had like first appearances of significant uh, versions of his character. Snoopy has a very rich interior life, <laughs> a very imaginative <laughs> life that happens inside that dog's head. And so um, I had selected like the first time that he plays the world famous lawyer, the first time he plays the f- world famous writer um, in his head. And Todd's going to give us some summaries of some of these uh, strips, obviously with 50 years there. Um, it's, it's impossible to do. However, if you are a fan of peanuts and you want to read them and you don't want to buy the Fantagraphics collection, which is beautiful. I own all those volumes and they're stunningly, uh, well-produced collections of peanuts art. The entire run of peanuts is legally available online. Um, I think that comics go, um, is the syndicate, uh, the, the syndicator who did all of the peanuts, uh, syndication to newspapers has the entire run up online. So you can read it, uh, legally and, uh, online there as well. All right, so I'm gonna just uh, I'm gonna say the date and then kind of why this is, is important, and then I'll give a really brief summary. Um, and some of these are like very brief because they're just four panel <laughs> things. So October fourth, nineteen fifty, is the first appearance of Snoopy, and in this uh, we see a happy Snoopy with a flower stuck in his collar, um, and he walks underneath a window with fa- flower pots hanging from the from the windowsill, and someone pours water. Uh, like they're watering the the flowers just as he walks by and they pour water on his head and Snoopy is sad. Uh, November 10th, 1950, we get Snoopy's name. Uh, so Lucy tells another boy that she's trying to teach Snoopy to sit up. The boy tells her he is going to give Snoopy a demonstration and then he sits up on the floor kind of like a dog and then Snoopy just 
starts laughing hysterically. On May 27th, 1952, we get Snoopy's first thought balloon. It's interesting because the very first appearance of Snoopy, we actually get a thought, a thought balloon from him, but it's only a question mark. So in, uh, in 1952 is when we get the, the first words in a thought balloon from, from Snoopy. And uh, in this ep- uh, in this uh, little panel uh, or strip, uh, Charlie Brown walks up to Snoopy and comments while pointing at Snoopy's ears that it's kind of warm to be wearing earmuffs. And as Charlie Brown walks away, Snoopy thinks, "Why do I have to suffer such indignities?" In uh, on January thirty first, nineteen fifty four, is the first hint that Snoopy's house is bigger on the inside, kind of like a TARDIS. Uh, the kids are, so all these kids are lining up and they're looking inside of Snoopy's doghouse and they each crawl inside one by one as Charlie Brown looks on curiously. And after four kids and Snoopy are all inside, it's kind of like a reverse Mary Poppins. Like they keep going in, but there, but there shouldn't be enough room for them. Uh, after four kids and Snoopy are all inside, Charlie asks if there's room for one more in there and a voice shouts from inside. Sure. Come on in. Then Linus pokes his head out and tells Charlie the house itself isn't so big, but you ought to see the recreation room. On uh, December 12th, 1958 is the first time that Snoopy sleeps on top of his doghouse. Uh, Snoopy is sleeping yeah. on top of his Which, doghouse. <laughs> this just stood out to me because it's eight years into yeah. the run. And that is like our our platonic ideal of Snoopy is him lying on his back on top of the doghouse. Yeah. And that's eight years into the run. It's kind of like in our last episode, we talked about Dick Van Dyke, um, the Dick Van Dyke show. It was almost canceled in its first year and didn't find its audience until the second year. Um, I think sometimes these creative works just need time to find things, you know, yeah. find their voice and find what's going to work. And this has become so iconically representative of Snoopy, but it's eight years into a daily strip being produced before it happens for the first time. Um, and it's just, it's, it's interesting to me that, um, and I'm sure some of this is because of the TV adaptations and, you know, the, the Christmas special that's on every single Christmas. And, you know, mm-hmm. that has that, that we can't avoid that imagery. Um, but I'm glad he got eight years to be able to work it out and, and first land on that imagery. Yeah. It, uh, it gives me hope that, um, you know, like you just stick with something and eventually like those ideas that come, <laughs> uh, so like a podcast eight years in Todd, eight, eight years from now, we might suddenly say, Hey, we did it. We, we nailed something that's going to work. Uh, so in this episode, or in this strip, I keep saying episode, in this strip, Snoopy is sleeping on top of his doghouse, and then he rolls off and slams uh, onto the ground. And as he walks away, he thinks, life is full of rude awakenings. Uh, July 12th to the 17th of 1965 is the famous writer. Snoopy is the world-famous writer. So he drags a heavy case with a typewriter to his doghouse and begins to write, It was a dark and stormy night. Soon, Charlie Brown receives a letter with a check for Snoopy and an invitation for more stories. So he returns to his doghouse and writes, It was a dark and stormy night. Linus tells Charlie about a book he is writing, or he's reading, and he likes it because the author is, uh, is versatile. Uh, But Charlie tells him that some authors find success simply by following a formula. As Snoopy writes again, it was a dark and stormy night. Snoopy then receives a rejection letter. They tell him his recent submission doesn't seem to be up to his previous efforts. Angry, Snoopy kicks his typewriter off the top of his doghouse and declares, thus endeth my writing career. Finally, we see Snoopy despondent lying on top of his doghouse thinking, I can't stand criticism. Uh, Then we have October 10th. Hold on, I wanted to Go say ahead. about the the famous writer. The last um, 
strip, uh, that last Sunday strip that was published the day after Charles Schultz passed away. It, the first panel is Snoopy writing, dear friends, I think, uh, like from the typewriter. And then it, the, the strip is really just an open letter to fans of Peanuts and Charles Schultz kind of thanking them and explaining why he wasn't going to be uh, able awesome. to do uh, any more new ones. And <laughs> I couldn't find it, but there is one famous writer strip of Snoopy where he gets a rejection letter from a publisher and he goes and climbs up and he starts typing. He says, I believe there has been a mistake. You sent me a rejection letter. I meant for you to publish my work and send me checks full of money. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I like Snoopy the writer. Um, yeah, he's one of my favorite versions of Snoopy. <laughs> On uh, October 10th, 1965, we get the World War One flying ace. So we see Snoopy dressed with a uh, World War One style aviator cap and glasses, and he climbs on top of his doghouse. And in his thought bubble, he tells himself that he's off on his uh, in his sup with camel to fight the Red Baron. Then Linus shows up, sees what Snoopy is up to, and shouts, rat-a-tat-a-tat-a-tat-a-tat, and the startled Snoopy falls off of the doghouse. Uh, dazed, uh, Snoopy's thought bubble wonders, maybe I can get a job with a good commercial airline. On November 7th, 1965, we get more uh, more pilot Snoopy. So once again, dressed in his aviator cap, his glasses, and his scarf, uh, Snoopy announces in his thought bubble that he is off to find the Red Baron. The weather is terrible, and Snoopy is surprised by the Baron, who shoots uh, Snoopy's wing. And then uh, Snoopy leaps out of off of his plane. Uh, and parachutes to the earth, declaring, I'll get you one day, Red Baron. But now Snoopy is behind enemy lines, and it's growing dark. Afraid he'll be captured and shot and never find his friends again, Snoopy starts to cry. Charlie Brown finds him, takes his hand, and leads him away. Snoopy thinks, how embarrassing. On January 1st, 1967, a despondent World War I Snoopy tries to drown in root beer his sorrows about the war and his inability to beat the Red Baron. He starts to scream and shout about how he is going to go, uh, how he is going to save the world. Then we see him getting booted out of his own doghouse into the rain. So then he goes inside uh, inside Charlie Brown's house and snuggles into bed with Charlie Brown, who sighs, Happy New Year. On March 6th, 1969 to March, f- no, March 8th, 1969 to March 15th, 1969, we get the first beagle on the moon. Uh, so Snoopy's inside his doghouse. He's making preparations to be the first beagle on the moon. And uh, now he's added an astronaut's like glass bubble helmet to his World War One attire. And he's preparing for takeoff to the moon. And he announces, all systems are go. A-OK. Do you read? Loud and clear. We have liftoff. The bird is beginning to move. And finally, he marvels at how many in expressions he has. And Charlie Brown shows up and tells him he is glad Snoopy is going to the moon because now he won't have to feed his dog. And Snoopy thinks, report, the- <laughs> report that man to mission control. Snoopy tries to call Mission Control, but no one answers, so he tries to call Petaluma. Uh, Now it's night, and Snoopy is racing towards the moon. He looks down and notices that it looks like a dirty beach. And now Snoopy is on the moon. He did it. He is the first beagle on the moon. He beat the Russians and everybody, even the stupid cat who lives next door. And finally, he returns from the moon. What courage, what fortitude. Then he tells the reader that we ought to be able to tell he is returning because he is facing the other way. I love the the kind of meta moment of uh, just talking directly to the reader. Um, <laughs> and about how we read, I mean it's just great commentary about how we read comics and it, it, like it's really like like that's insightful into the construction of comics oh, yeah. but it's just a throwaway gag that Snoopy throws out yep. <laughs> at the end it's so great uh, so then we get um, August 20th 1968 to August 31st 1968 we get Snoopy and Lila so Snoopy receives a letter from someone named Lila and he's not pleased he complains that when she writes to him he gets depressed then he realizes that she has written to him because she needs him so he puts his supper dish on his head and shakes a befuddled uh, Charlie Brown's hand and races away 
Uh, Snoopy finally makes it to the hospital. He sneaks in because they hate beagles in hospitals. And he makes it to the room of Lila, who is a sweet little girl with a ribbon in her hair who is delighted to see him. And he calls her sweetie. And when he returns, Charlie asks him a bunch of questions about Lila, but Snoopy doesn't answer because, well, he's a dog. Uh, Concerned, Charlie talks to Linus, who it turns out has been doing some private investigating. And he asks Charlie if he's ready for a shock. And Charlie faints. Uh, Clearly, he was not ready for a shock. Uh, when he comes to, Linus reveals to Charlie Brown that he has called the Daisy Hill Puppy Farm and that Charlie is not Snoopy's original owner. His original owner had been Lila's family. She had loved Snoopy, but the family lived in an apartment and they couldn't keep him there. So they returned him uh, to the shelter. And then uh, and Charlie Brown then got a used dog. And Charlie can understand now why Snoopy is so disturbed by Lila's letters. Uh, but now he's worried that Snoopy might like Lila more than he likes him. Uh, But Linus doubts this because Snoopy wouldn't have been happy in an apartment. Meanwhile, Snoopy is flying his doghouse again. Now, uh, May 27th to the 29th of 1971, we get the Joe Cool persona. Uh, Snoopy is wearing sunglasses. He is Joe Cool hanging around. (laughs) Joe Cool hanging around the student union. Uh, Linus comes by and asks uh, Snoopy about chemistry, but Joe Cool doesn't answer. He is too busy hanging around the student union. Now Joe Cool is checking out chicks in the form of Lucy Van Pelt. But after she passes, he gets a worried look on his face and confesses, actually, we Joe Cools are scared to death of chicks. Finally, Joe Cool is hanging around the dorm on a Saturday afternoon. Linus asks him what he is doing hanging around the dorm on a Saturday afternoon, to which Snoopy replies in thought, no wheels, man. In January 1972, we get world-famous attorney. So Peppermint (laughs) – I really like this one. Uh, Peppermint Patty refuses to wear a dress despite that being her school's dress code. So she's sent to the principal's office. But knowing that she was going to be sent there, she announces that she has brought her attorney, which is Snoopy. So the next day, Peppermint calls Snoopy, who is annoyed at being disturbed while studying law books so that he can appear in court. So the day of Peppermint's student council appearance arrives, and Snoopy is not feeling confident because he can't tell a John Doe from a Richard Doe. Uh, Patty opens up by telling the council that her attorney will be advising him. Snoopy is confused that neither John Doe nor Richard Rowe have appeared. He advises her to open with an impassioned plea against the Stamp Act. Uh, (laughs) So good. Uh, Patty continues to try to argue that she has legal counsel, but Snoopy is going progressively more and more off the rails, spouting legalese like, he who owns soil owns up to the sky, and de minimus non curat lex. She argues that the dress code is just piggy. Snoopy tells her that he prefers the term barrister to attorney, like they're just not on the same page. Uh, Despite Patty's confidence at the way Snoopy handled the case, she is found guilty. Her punishment is to study the Constitution during lunch hour. But the more she studies it, I love this. (laughs) The more she studies it, the more convinced she is that she was right. Uh, She tries to call Snoopy, but he is busy dictating his memoirs. And uh, I believe those are all of the, uh, the strips that you sent me. Yes. Yeah, those are those are the ones. And I will just say, uh, if we're talking about Snoopy, which we are, we need to acknowledge that there's a a certain part of the Peanuts fandom that feel like Snoopy ruined the strip once he started to think and have these imaginative side adventures. They thought the strip lost something that it had before when it was focused on the kids. And he definitely does become more prominent in the strip. I mean, as we said, it took years before he even had a thought balloon. (laughs) Uh, It took years before we started to see him imagine himself in all these different roles. Um, And so if you were a fan of what had been before and it suddenly became much more focused on that, it would feel odd. Um, But that's something that happens a lot with 
long running media as they figure things out. Like there are sitcoms that kind of shift focus yeah. as they go along. They're like, well, actually, the, this this character's working more, uh, and or you know the the plot we thought we were going to have, well, almost like um scandal. Like you watch that pilot and it feels like it's going to be an episodic, uh, you know, case of the week. Uh, with some long-running background plot lines. And then it became only those background plot lines were the only plot lines. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it reminds me of uh, Parks and Rec, where often, if you talk to somebody about Parks and Rec, they'll just say, just start with season two. (laughs) Because season one was weird. And and really, I mean, there are some people that will just start at season one and watch it all the way through, but... Um, it's kind of fun to watch season one after you've kind of fallen in love with the show, but it's far easier to fall in love with the show starting with season two than season one. Yeah. Um, there is a website called the peanuts wiki, which is fairly exhaustive. I've got to say they, (laughs) I was poking around there. They have a lot of information and they have a list of Snoopy's alter egos. I sent you a few for us to talk about. There are so many, like I really can't even, it would take too long for me to read off all of these that they have. And a lot of them early on are him pretending to be other animals. Uh, but then there comes uh, after like kind of after that um, World War One flying gaze, you start to see more and more things like secret agent, world famous baseball manager, world famous golf pro, um, <laughs> captain of the rescue squad, world famous hockey goalie, world famous roller derby. Uh, roller star. derby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what this one is. World famous swinger. <laughs> don't know like, what Snoopy was up to. I, I don't know. It just is world famous. It's got a link. I get, I'll go read that after a second. World famous football coach. I mean, everything is world famous, world famous, world famous for a lot of these. Um, in his head, he's extremely successful. Yes. Um, and it's uh, just interesting to see, again, uh, like I'm looking at the dates on these. Most of those start to appear like in the 70s. And the strip started in, you know, 1950. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's 20 years in that that becomes like the one of the dominant traits of the series, I think, is starting to explore all these um, side adventures in Snoopy's head. Yeah. Cool. So you've thought a lot about Snoopy. Yes. Yes, I have. <laughs> so, I imagine that there are probably people listening right now who are thinking, OK, I, I don't get why Snoopy is. I mean, like he's cute. And and we all know the the image of him on top of his doghouse. But like, how in the world does Snoopy become like so embedded in our culture? What is it about Snoopy that that resonates with us? Okay, I think some of it is definitely there is um, a cleanliness and a simplicity to the image of Snoopy. Um, that it's kind of evocative in the same way that Mickey Mouse is. Like Mickey Mouse has three circles. <laughs> yeah. Yet it has become so powerful as an image and an icon. And there's a, a similar simplicity to Snoopy. Um, he's so basic and simple and yet adorable. <laughs> like there's just a uh-huh. cuteness that, that is, is part of that. Um, and then I think within the world of Peanuts, he serves a really valuable role. Um, I kind of looked out of the trivia, but at the beginning, it's not clear that he's Charlie Brown's dog. It's kind of alluded to that he's just a neighborhood dog that wanders around mm-hmm. just there. Eventually, he gets aligned as specifically Charlie Brown's dog. Um, but if you've read a lot of Peanuts, there is a heavy undercurrent of pessimism. <laughs> a handy, right. Uh, right? Like, it can get dark um, and almost like depressing at times to read. And often there is that like right. Um, commentary at the you know in the fourth panel after the three panels of of rough <laughs> content, um, but Snoopy particularly in these flights of fancy in his world famous personas is like these bursts of 
sunshine and optimism that just fly through peanuts. And so I, I think that contrast made him a star, uh, you know, that, that kind of um, transcended the Peanuts comic strip because the world of the Peanuts comic strip was one thing and Snoopy was, a, was obviously part of it, but also something else um, within it. Yeah. I, I found one of the things that I found interesting was in the very beginning of this. Uh, I mean, the very first time we see Snoopy, he gets the thing poured on his head and then his first, uh, his first thought balloon is why do I have to suffer such indignities? And then the first time he's on top of his house, he rolls, he rolls off. off his house <laughs> Yeah, and he says life is full of rude awakenings, which is exactly what the first time we see him is, is a rude awakening, right? Like he's he's yeah. kind of kind of lost in thought and he gets the water poured on his head. And that's that's like to me uh stereotypical peanuts is kind of yes. the rude awakening of life and um, Did you read the very first peanut strip? Uh, and one of the links, like it, it, his first Snoopy's first appearance is in the third peanut strip. So right. the page that I sent you had the first one. Did you read that first one? Um, yeah, I was. Oh no, I didn't. I didn't no. read it. The, the very first peanut strip is, uh, I think it's Sherman and uh, oh, I can't remember who the girl is, but there's a boy and a girl sitting there and they see Charlie Brown walking and it's three panels of Charlie Brown walking up. And one was like, here comes Charlie Brown. Good old Charlie Brown. I love him. And then Charlie Brown <laughs> walks by. And once he's gone, Sherman says that Charlie Brown, how I hate him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, that's your introduction to the world of peanuts, which it, it's not like uh, that's the tone of the world of peanuts. That's the, uh, that's something that stays pretty consistent. I mean, one of the great running gags of this strip is Charlie Brown getting the football pulled away. Um, and you know that, that he's going to run and he's going to try and kick the football and Lucy's going to pull it away at the last second. I, I don't know how many dozens, probably hundreds of times that was done in the 50 years. It's just, <laughs> and when, are you gonna is, is the last trip gonna be charlie brown kicking the football yeah and charles schultz gonna say no like why? like the point is he doesn't that is the point of the strip is that you don't connect yeah. with the football uh and that charlie brown is is never going to um and you go back to the very first strip and you're like oh wow um every now and then like i see like think pieces on the internet that are uh, like particularly around Christmas when the Charlie Brown Christmas is going to air again. And they say like, this thing is depressing. Why do we keep showing it to our kids? And it's like, well, I'm glad you grasped the basic premise of peanuts. (laughs) This thing is depressing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, I think there is um, not just in Snoopy, but the fact that Charlie Brown is going to try and kick the football again. I think there is like a little ray of optimism. Like (laughs) they get up and try again. Um, In my American literature class, uh, just today, the day we were recording this, I had a group presentation on uh, realism, uh, which is a literary movement that's in response to romanticism, where, and the realists kind of say, uh, like, we're just going to present the world exactly how it is, and almost always that's going to be depressing. (laughs) Almost always that's that's not going to feel very evocative emotionally. Realism can feel a little odd to apply to a newspaper comic strip, particularly one as stylized as Charlie Brown, which has like adults speaking in like weird characters that have no meaning in the comic strip and sounding like this in the the TV specials. Um, But I, I think there's something with the tone of the realist literary movement, which tended to be depressing commentary about life. Uh, We're not going to sugarcoat anything and uh, we're going to present some of the harsh realities right now that, that, you know, that that's part of the tone of the realist literary movement. And I think there's something there in peanuts, even though it is a kid's comic strip and warm and fuzzy. And there's so many plush versions of Snoopy out there that you just get warm fuzzies when you see it. (laughs) Yeah. 
I'm, I, 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 I don't know what to add to that, except I think you're, I think you're right. And I think that it's, um, it's part of what makes peanuts special is, is the tone that it has. If it was just cute kids, like being kind of cute to each other, um, and a cute dog that did cute things, <laughs> then, I mean, cute's great, but I don't think that you can, I don't think you can do cute every day for 50 years. Um, like there has to be substance behind, behind it. And, and I think that this, uh, this, uh, juxtaposition of cute and harsh is, uh, part of what gives it its staying power, I think. No, I agree with that. Um, I actually, just a little bit before we were going to start recording, I put out on Twitter, um, I just said, does anyone have any thoughts on the comic strip Peanuts? Because I'm recording a podcast on it soon, and if you don't mind, I'll, I'll share some of what you say. Um, and the first comment was from former guest of the show, Todd uh, Peterson. Uh, whose book is coming out soon, listeners. You should definitely look into that. Uh, he said, I didn't get with Peanuts until I was older, much older. I learned about how Schultz processed some very adult trials in his life into the comic, and I had to become familiar with those kinds of trials to really get what he was doing. Um, and then another uh, person responded, uh, it's called Michael. He said, I loved Peanuts as a kid, but I did not appreciate the themes of hopelessness and despair that Charlie Brown embodied until I was much older. The formula of existential dread abated by a wry last panel punch probably has <laughs> something to do with why I often deflect depression with humor. This this reminds me of, um, I was listening to a thing today uh, that was written, it was written by um, Jordan Peterson. Who's, are you familiar with Jordan Peterson? I'm not. He's a he's a conservative. Um, he's a, a psychologist, and he's pretty controversial. And he says some. Um, I mean, he has some controversial opinions about things. But one of the things that he's famous for today is that um, he has a series of uh, like essays or lectures that he gives, and he speaks specifically to young men, and especially he speaks to young men that are like troubled, and. Um, and he he has the 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 thing that I listened to today was called it was called I think it was called a letter to um, school shooters past present and future or something like that um, and it was basically like this conversation that we're having right now he was saying life is hard life is really 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 hard <laughs> and it's tragic and terrible things happen and you can like let it get you down and if you do then your your life is going to be pretty terrible and if you if you if you want to be a man then you can stand up to it and face it and say you know what my life is going to be hard but i'm going to stand up and and try to be better <laughs> and no matter how many times life knocks me down i'm just going to keep getting back up and um i mean for all of the for all of the controversial things that he says i think that's a pretty um i think that's a pretty a, a pretty good message for the world today. <laughs> like, uh, things are going to be really hard, but we just have to keep going because what other option do we have? <laughs> right? And, uh, and I think that's one of the beautiful things about, about peanuts. And, um, yeah. And I, I have never read, uh, this thing that gets referenced in another tweet that someone just, uh, sent actually. Um, it's from someone named Adam. He says, my favorite series of peanut strips was when rerun lost his bag of marbles to a kid on the playground. When the kids said they were playing for keeps after he won, 
Charlie Brown went and won back reruns uh, marbles. Charlie Brown only won when he was standing up for someone else. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, like, I mean, Charlie Brown is a pop culture, like, shorthand for, like, just failing to succeed at what you're trying to do. But also, I think it's, there's still the, like, I'm still going to kick the football again. <laughs> I'm going to get up and try yeah. again. Um, aspect you were kind of just alluding to um, that, uh, you know, within the four panel structure of Peanuts, so often there is, uh, one panel sets it up a second panel has Charlie Brown or, or, or someone else even, you know, state a goal. Third panel shows why it doesn't work. And then there's some ride commentary at the end. Yeah. Um, and yet you get 50 years of that, of that sequence. I, I think there's something to the idea of humor is going to make it more palatable. <laughs> that that mm-hmm. laughing at yourself and at the situation is going to be good, but also we're going to be back again tomorrow. Trying again. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I like about Snoopy is that we kind of get both. We get on the one hand, we get the like the harsh realities of life and the falling off of your of your uh, doghouse. And uh, and, you know, the but we also get the first beagle on the moon like this is so yes. it's so <laughs> exultant. Right. When he when he's coming back and uh, and he's been triumphant. Uh, in being the first one, he even beat the dumb cat next door uh, to the moon. And and when he he looks out and says, "You know, I'm you know I'm coming back because I'm facing the other direction." Like it's just it's awesome. It's <laughs> it's just uh, it's it's uh, it's it's triumphant. It's amazing. And um, and it's nice to have that to balance the just the the harshness of. Some some of the other stuff you were saying. The, the first one is um, that Charlie Brown. Oh, I hate him. The very second, October third, nineteen fifty, is Patty saying, uh, "Little girls are made of sugar and spice and everything nice." And then this other little boy comes and she smacks him, and he's like, "What the?" And then she says, "That's what little girls are made of." And like that's it. And then the next one is Snoopy getting water dumped on his head. That's like those are our first three days of of peanuts. A little boy saying how he hates Charlie Brown. Little girl smacks a little boy for no reason. And then Snoopy gets water poured on his head. Yeah, it's it's uh, a rough opening. And yet uh, <laughs> an opening that would carry on for 50 years. And um, I, one number I saw floated around was well over a billion dollars of merchandise of Snoopy or uh, yeah. of penis characters has been sold. So there's something that's beloved about this, even as there is that harshness that's undeniably present. Do you feel like um, there's a um do you feel like there's something of Schultz in the especially in the Snoopy as the world's greatest writer thing? Uh I think so. Uh I, particularly because that's the one he chose to present the final, you know, his farewell mm-hmm. letter. His last uh strip, his last time ever drawing Snoopy, I mean so far as we know, was or any of these characters was Snoopy at a typewriter. Um and then again the text uh, in the in the farewell um so yeah, I, I think I feel like when he says, um, you know, some writers are um, are successful because they're versatile, and others are successful because they have they find a formula that works. And like, <laughs> talk about somebody who found a formula that worked and then just milked it for fifty years, and and then also, and then I and the, and seeing that, I think okay, I think he's, I think this is kind of self referential here. And then when he when we see how he handles rejection. <laughs> <laughs> like, I wonder if there's something of Schultz in that also. Although, I mean, I don't, I don't know. 
I don't know what what he would have done that would have been rejected because he just owned this for forever. It feels like, but but because it's Charles Schultz and the main character is named Charlie Brown, a lot of people automatically assume that Charles or Charlie Brown is the voice of Charles Schultz. Though I again, it's been a while. This was when I was working on that essay. And I don't think I even ended up using this, but I think he said somewhere that he doesn't identify with Charlie Brown. He identifies with Snoopy. <laughs> yes. um, it makes sense to me. Just from the, from the little that I, that I, that I read from today. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, so the, for me, the most, the most interesting, obviously one of the most iconic things about Snoopy is his world war one flying ace persona. Mm. There's something that's I, in some ways it's kind of like we were just talking about with the Dick Van Dyke show. Like you can just go for broke for something absurd, like the hall full of <laughs> uh, the closet full of walnuts and, or a man putting multiple toupees on his, on his head uh, while, while talking to them. And, and that could work. And there's something that is just so absurd about Snoopy wearing aviator goggles with the um, scarf flapping in the back as he sits on top of his his doghouse that somehow keeps getting riddled with bullet holes um, yeah. on the side. Like that's, that's patently absurd, but it's also charming or Snoopy right. getting kicked out of his own doghouse. Right? Yes. <laughs> Who's in there kicking him out. It's only him. Yeah. <laughs> He's so lost in his imaginary world. Like he, he, he goes pretty deep. Yeah. Um, but the, the essay I wrote, um, I was looking at Schultz in the late sixties, which has both the moon landing sequence that we looked at. And then that's when the, uh, the um, world war one flying ace gets introduced and he becomes a pretty steady part for a few years there in the sixties. And then he tails off. And in the essay, I was looking at it as Schultz kind of subtly adding some commentary about the Vietnam war without touching the you know the third rail of culture at the time <laughs> of uh you know of addressing the the vietnam war head-on that's a good way to lose half your audience no matter what you said um at the time and uh the world war on flying ace is a departure from most of snoopy's personas who are always the world's greatest x you know uh-huh. like his, his internal life tends to be pretty optimistic and the world war one flying ace fits the rest of the milieu of peanuts in that he's just a constant failure like he cannot uh-huh. get the red baron the red baron is going to shoot him down every single time and particularly the one that you summarize when he gets kicked out of his own um dog house uh <laughs> i said <laughs> um it's a sunday one so it's longer you get more more panels and more more things that happen uh i'll just quote from the the collection here the essay collection it says Let's see. In each narrative panel, Snoopy wears the telltale aviator goggles of his flying ace persona. Only in the final panel does another character, Charlie Brown, appear. And what does this comic strip, the first of a new year, address for comedy? Well, imperialism, alone in a strange country. So, I'm going to say something and then there's the quote uh, directly from the panels of what Snoopy says. Imperialism, alone in a strange country. The interminable nature of war. How much longer can this war go on? The mental health of soldiers. I think I shall go mad. Alcoholism. Garcon, another root beer, please. The horrors of war. How many root beers can a man drink? How many does it take to drive the agony from your brains curse this war hatred curse you red baron wherever you are i'm going to get you i'm going to shoot you down uh belligerent soldiers disturbance who's creating a disturbance i'm a pilot with the allies i'm going to save the world and the treatment of soldiers you can't do this to a flying ace you'll be sorry and so this is 
you know, apparently, again, like the juxtaposition of Snoopy and his flying goggles and all these other yeah. issues. It's funny. You, you you smile at it. But I think he's adding some commentary about the Vietnam War uh, in the presence of this World War One flying ace. Like I broke down the numbers, uh, how frequently he starts to appear. Uh, appear. Um, he appears first in late 1965. Uh, so he only appears in two strips that year because um, it was so late in the year. Then in 1966, uh, the World War One Flying Ace appears 40 times or 10%, more than 10% of the comics of that year. In 67, uh, the World War One Flying Ace appears uh, 33 times or 9% of the strips. And then after that, it becomes less frequent. Mm. Um, and Schultz actually acknowledged directly in an interview his growing discomfort in drawing this version of Snoopy as the Vietnam War dragged on. Interesting. Um, it, this is a quote from Schultz. He says, well, because war, I mean, we were just suddenly realizing just everybody that this was a monstrous war and everything. It just didn't seem funny. So I just stopped doing it. Then going into bookstores and seeing the revival of war books, mostly World War II, Korea, World War One books, I thought it's coming back again. So then I just started doing some more. So he brings the World War One flying back, ace back in the, in the later 70s, yeah. like mid, mid 70s. He starts to show up more. The thing that I love about, about those two um, are uh, the, like the compassion and the, that Charlie Brown shows to him the one when he, when he's lost in the, in the night and he's so mm-hmm. worried. And then Charlie comes and takes his hand and what does he say? Like, Oh, this is so humiliating or something like that. Um, yeah. or how, embar- how embarrassing, but it's actually like, it's very sweet of, of Charlie Brown who we usually associate with like the football, right? Like trying to kick it over and over and over again. Or getting and, taken out by a baseball hit that he pitches right. in and gets hit back so far, so fast that he gets flipped over on the mound. Yeah, we usually associate him with failure and yet we see him uh, kind of saving Snoopy here and then we see it again um, when when Snoopy gets kicked out of his doghouse and he goes and snuggles up with, with Charlie Brown. Again, there's like the comfort that, that Snoopy gets from from him. I think it's really sweet and I think ties in really well with that um those things that you were saying about about the war and uh and the trauma of war and uh the alcoholism and all of that kind of stuff to have uh, some stable compassionate figure that can come and kind of extend a hand to you i think i think there's something really powerful in that deep stuff yeah well again 50 years there was something there (laughs) that was resonating (laughs) with people um there was uh, an article by Sarah Boxer, and I think this was published just before the uh, the Peanuts movie, the recent uh, CGI animated movie was released in, in theaters. Of, well, I guess recently. It was like three years ago, I want to say. Uh, uh, but the article opened by saying, Peanuts was deceptive. It looked like kids stuff, but it wasn't. The strip's cozy suburban conviviality, its warm fuzziness actually conveyed some uncomfortable truths about the loneliness of social existence. The characters, though funny, could stir up shockingly heated arguments over how to survive and still be a decent human being in a bitter world. <laughs> and uh, yeah, <laughs> she, she, she's right. That was by Sarah Boxer. Uh, and, the, and the article was called... Um, the exemplary narcissism of Snoopy, wow. which is a strong title. I like that title a lot. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I don't know how much more I have to say about this. Uh, well, I, you know what, listeners, it is very late for us. We're double recording and I, we, tover, we covered a lot of the deep stuff I wanted to. I do just want to acknowledge that there's something um, – as, as like deeply pathetic as as penis can be and like make you feel like pathos like the but for how sad the human condition can be there's also like the raw joy of snoopy dancing when his ears go flopping up <laughs> like that is like 
an iconic moment of joy that this series also gives us. Yeah. And uh, and I love the, the like just the, the delicious absurdity of the World War One flying ace. <laughs> There's yeah. so much that's wrong with that image. Like that's not what a dog looks like. Dogs don't wear that. Scarf shouldn't be actually flying backwards because he's just sitting on his <laughs> his house. And it's a house, not a stop with camel. And it shouldn't get riddled with bullet holes. Like there's so much about it that shouldn't work. Right. But it all does. There's something okay, magical have, in the outcome I do have a of putting about, those things together. I do have a question about um, Linus. Can yes. Li- can Linus actually talk to Snoopy? Uh, it seems like Linus can is, tell what Snoopy is thinking. I was gonna say, my memory is that he seems to be the one that has the most two-way conversations with Snoopy. Yeah. And, and Linus is easily the most empathetic figure in Peanuts. Okay. Like, he empathizes, meaning he empathizes with everyone else more than any other characters. Yeah. Um. So, I wouldn't be, I think he's the most communication. I don't know that it's a direct, like, correlation of, I know exactly what you're thinking, Snoopy, or just, I can read you. I got you, bud. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's there's something of that in Linus. I like it. Do you have any other favorite characters in the Peanuts pantheon there? I love Peppermint Patty when she goes on this tirade uh, at the school, at the, at the student council. Um, that was uh, just joyous <laughs> to see Snoopy. <laughs> and Snoopy, like, just completely off the rails uh, with all of his legalese. Uh, that, that whole thing um, worked really, really well for me. So... Um, I, I just want to say for like for my kids when they watch Snoopy specials um, or they've read some of my Snoopy collections, my five year old, he just resonates or, or, or gravitates towards Linus. Someone just because mm-hmm. he's five and he still sleeps with a blankie, I'm sure. Um, and even this last Christmas, he pulled Linus and used his blankie as a, a shepherd's. Um, oh. know, what do they call that? Uh, you know, what Linus does in the Snoopy special or the, the Charlie Brown Christmas special where. Uh, for his shepherd's costume, he puts his, his blanket on his head. My five-year-old did exactly that. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and he called it. He wanted to be like Linus. Wow. Um, so I even as there's the undeniable like angst and and um, the, this kind of harsher commentary about human existence and loneliness that's absolutely present in there, there's still something that draws even young kids uh, yeah. to Peanuts. And like some of those Twitter responses that I shared kind of said like, as an adult, I appreciate this more, but I kids seem to be drawn to this. And it's not like you, when you go watch the animated specials that they cleaned this up, you know, uh, that they removed uh, all the dark stuff. It's still there. Um, and yet kids like the, they're still staples of, um, you know, kids pop culture diet. And I don't think it's just because Charles Schultz was a brilliant marketer. I think there's something there that, speaks even to, to young kids who we hope aren't exposed to some of these negative parts of human existence but you know kids are smart kids are observant they they see that but they i, I think they also gravitate towards uh the joy that is very much a part of peanuts as well yeah cool well should we wrap this up i think so uh, I think listeners that we are all done. So thank you for joining us uh, for show notes and links to all the other great dueling genre shows. Go to duelinggenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the protagonist podcast in your podcast app of choice. And please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Nick English who designed our logo and Scott Tofty who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you may want to go check out episode number 83 when we talked about Calvin and Hobbes or episode number 79 when we talked about bone. You can suggest stories or characters 
characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com or us on Twitter. You can follow Protagonist Pod, Todd K. Mack, Jay Dorowski, or our producer Andrew is at DizMinute on Twitter. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. We have really good conversations there with our listeners. We would love for you to say hello anytime. If you'd like to support the show financially, you can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation for uh, with a monetary donation by going to patreon.com slash protagonist. Thank you again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. Remember that description of you down the way a barcode looks for a short story. I like that description. <laughs> He's, he asked how many tabs I had open. I didn't want to give him an exact count, but there were quite a few tabs of Peanuts comic strips open in the background, some of which may have had autoplay advertisement videos <laughs> attached to them.